0: John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Steve Jobs will go down in history as one of the most influential CEOs of modern business. Aside from his feat of taking a nearly bankrupt apple from uh, the verge of insolvency to one of the most profitable entities in the world and popularizing, uh, dressing down for big events in the process, he also became the master of the keynote address. He was a born salesman. Jobs took the stale format of announcing products and turned it into a showcase, whether it was the iPhone, the iPad, the Mac, or or anything else that might improve a little bit of our life, and added a little bit of magic, if you will. But at the pinnacle of all of his addresses, he mastered this saying, one more thing. And where his address, his keynote seemed to come to an end, only for Job to return and unveil one new product. Luke gives us this one new, one more thing. I mean, look at this. If you look at the, at the beginning of the gospel, uh, sorry, of the, the book of Acts, which is the second part of Luke's gospel, if you will, it, it, it talks about God promising the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. And Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, and he references the the book of Joel, which actually part of our Psalm 148 reference when the psalm said that kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all the rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, all men and children shall praise the Lord. But Joel says that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your young men will dream dreams, and your old men will see visions. Your, your young men will prophesy, and your, your, your young women will be empowered. I love that. This is, this is a, an amazing promise that the prophet Joel has. And what does Peter say on the day of Pentecost? He says, this is that of which Joel spoke. And then you see that the Holy Spirit comes and fills people throughout the book of Acts. There's, there's five different types, if you will, at least, in the book of Acts. But you, and you might fall into one of these categories. There's initially the longing. It says that all the believers, Acts chapter 2, were together in one accord, and they were awaiting the promise of the Holy Spirit. There's a, a second group that we see in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 23. It says, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent for Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. The second group is this receptive group. The third group, actually, and some of us may be in that category, we're hostile. And, I, and I'm not saying like, that you're just like, that's not really for me. Well, you couldn't find a person who was more like that than the Apostle Paul himself. And you find that in in Acts 8, verse 1 and 9, 1 through 12. And it says this, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house to house as he dragged them off, men and women, and committed them to prison. But then God meets him on the road to Damascus and fills him with his Holy Spirit. And then we read about a, another set of believers in the book of Acts who, who are filled with the Holy Spirit. They are the uninformed, if you will. They, they, this is what they say. They say, we didn't even know that there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit in Ephesus. And they're prayed for and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But this passage is actually deals with that fifth group, if you will. There's a fifth group in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 onward, and Acts 11, which we've just read and that is the unlikely. And actually, many of us here are the unlikely. Sometimes theologians read Acts chapter 11 uh, with the Holy Spirit filling Cornelius, and we see it as an excuse that now we can have pepperoni on our pizza. We get to eat bacon and don't have to keep kosher. But you're missing the whole point of what this passage is actually all about. It's about the unlikely. You see, the Gentiles are the most unlikely converts in all of Syria, Palestina. Cornelius was a centurion. It was the centurions who had actually crucified Jesus. Why in the world would God want to include them in the covenant people? But God has to break through. It's the only way that he can break through. We are unlikely to ever come to him unless he breaks into our situation. This passage tells us three things. There is a summon to us all. There is a satisfying of our thirst that we read about in this passage and also in the book of Revelation. And lastly, there are signs of new life. There's a summons to all. I remember in 1995, I graduated high school and I asked my dad for the addresses for all my aunts, uncles, uh, great aunts, great uncles, Second cousins, second cousins three times removed. I want to send them all an invite. You know why? Because I was just so proud of my achievements. Well, not really. The real reason was actually, there was a slight ulterior motive. And I'm not sure, I'm sure you guys didn't do this at all. I mean, no. But I was kind of hoping that, you know, Aunt Bessie, who I'd never heard of, might just sort of slip a tenner in there, or maybe a 25, or, or maybe 50, you know, something. I need a little bit of gas money. But the point is, I was doing the summon to them about my graduation, this summon to all, because I wanted to get something. But you see, God summons Peter and God summons Cornelius not to get, not to get something, but to give someone, to give something. Luke puts it this way in, the, in his first of two volumes in Luke, uh, in, in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. He says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Father give you the Holy Spirit when you ask for Him? God is a giving God. God. He wants to give you, he summons you, not to get anything from you, but to give of himself. That's what the book of Revelation says. They will be my covenant people. I will make all things new. God summons all of us. And you see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would would fill particular people at particular times for particular missions, and then he would go away. He would fill Bezalel with with creativity. And some of you guys have studied creativity. You've studied how to be creative. Some have studied how to engineer things. And and the Holy Spirit came upon Bezalel, filled him for for creative acts, and then he stepped away. Bezalel was the one that created the tabernacle and built the Ark of the Covenant. The Holy Spirit comes upon Samson, fills him with strength when he is, is feeling weak. God the Holy Spirit fills Moses and makes them wise and a leader and gives them gifts of leadership. God is not in the business of getting, he's in the business of giving. But the second thing that we see is that God fills the thirsty. He fills the unlikely. He fills those that that, that know that they have a need. He fills the unlikely. You couldn't find a more unlikely candidate than Cornelius. What do I mean by this? You see, Cornelius, it says he was of the Italian legion or the Italian cohort. It's unlikely that he would be included in the people of God. I remember the first time uh, that my wife and I flew to to Spain. I grew up in Spain, spent 13 years living there. Uh, So we we flew with Iberia, which is one of the Spanish carriers. And as we're getting off the plane, the flight attendant looks at my Italian-American wife um, because she's got her husband, blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy, and the flight attendant looks at her and says, Bienvenido a España. And then she looks at me and she says, Welcome to Spain. But you see, here's what the church in Jerusalem is doing. They're doing the same thing. They're looking at Cornelius and saying, There's no way that God would fill Cornelius. God doesn't like Gentiles. But God fills Cornelius with his spirit. did Did you catch it? Peter says, I hadn't even finished speaking. I was still speaking. And the Holy Spirit fills Cornelius. And then it says that he was praising and extolling the Lord. I love that. He was filled with God's Holy Spirit and experienced an immense sense of joy, of love. That's what God wants to do for you today. He wants to fill you with the Spirit. And we're working towards Pentecost. So I just want you to be that, have that percolate in you as, as, as we're approaching Pentecost. But God fills the unlikely. What do I mean by that? Here's what you have. The, Cornelius was a Gentile. The Gentiles were excluded. If you went to the temple in Jerusalem, there was the court of the Gentiles. Then there was the court of the women. And then, then, then you, you, if you were an adult male Jew, you could then go into the temple complex. But everyone else was excluded. But God, by His Holy Spirit, is breaking down racial barriers. God is breaking down racial barriers. Cornelius the Gentile is filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can can hear people just say, no, the religious would say. He's the wrong race. He doesn't belong. And then God, the Holy Spirit, in the first volume of Luke's book, says that he fills John the Baptist even when he's pre-born. And no, the religious say, the Talmud says that you can't teach Jewish children the Torah until they're five. They're not rationally capable of doing that. And God says, no. Next week, the Lord willing and the people consenting, deacon Patricia will be priested. And there's this, there's this actual amazing little um, scripture reading that's in the ordination service that is quoted from Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. And it says this, Before I formed you in the womb, Patricia, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God calls and fills the unlikely, The people that everyone else says, no, 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 they don't belong. They're not rational enough. They're not capable enough. They're the wrong race. They're not the insiders. They're the outsiders. God brings the excluded and the marginalized into communion with himself. And guess what? We're all excluded, and we all actually need to be included because, you see, It says that in in the book of Genesis that that God formed man and he breathed into man and he became a living soul as he breathes into Adam. In the same way, God wants to breathe not just physical life into us, but real spiritual life into you and I. He wants you and I to become a living soul. And what does that look like? Well, what do signs of new life look like? And that's the third thing that we read in Acts chapter 11. There are signs of new life. I remember in, in, in 2000, I was a, a, a lieutenant, a second lieutenant in Fort Drum, New York. And it was, we were doing a field exercise. We were out at a live fire range. We were out there for a whole week. Um, and there was this, a massive blizzard, and we were in the middle of a bivouac. We were out there with, with our, our, our bivy sacks, our fart sacks, as we used to call them, um, with the, the, the Gore-Tex and, and whatnot. And, and we had these trigger finger mittens. And I remember the, the snow was so driving that, that my mittens had gotten completely caked in snow. And so I went to our little, our, our little eight-man tent, and we had a little uh, space heater that had a a 5-gallon jug, of, a 25 gallon, a five gallon jug of, of JP8 fuel that was just dripping uh, that kerosene-like fuel into space heater, and the space heater was warming that whole tent. And, and all I had to do was just get near that space heater, and I immediately started warming up. My fingers started to thaw. I could feel life coming back into my body. You see, God isn't just a space heater. You see, God's, not even the sun, but if you think about it, the sun is, is just there. We don't have to do anything. The sun is already irradiating its heat. Its sunlight is hitting us. Its sun rays are warming us. And sometimes we just have to be there. We just have to receive. We have to receive. And you see, that's the difference between, between what Cornelius was doing and what the rest of the Roman cohorts were doing. You see, the, our Lord says, when he teaches the Lord's Prayer, he says, pray, that you, when you pray this way, say, our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because you see, the pagans, he says, the pagans, uh, they think that because of the many words and the many repetitions, they'll be heard. But he says, no, 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 just, just be with me. Align your will to mine. Cardinal John O'Connor, when he was first appointed to that role uh, as Archbishop of New York, went to Rome to receive his pallium from the Bishop of Rome. And as he was there in St. Peter's Basilica, he he saw this really small, frail lady, who he immediately recognized. He walked over to her and he said, because uh, he, he knew that she was Saint Teresa of Calcutta, and he said, "Do, do you do you have?" any words of wisdom for me. I think this task of being Archbishop of New York is too much for me." And she only gave him three words, three words, give God permission, give God permission. All you have to do is get next, not to that space heater, not even to the, to, the, to the sun with all of its radiance and beauty, but just give God permission that His will would be done in your life. The medieval church used to talk about God as being actus purus or pure act. In other words, God is so good, there's nothing that you could add to God to make Him better. There's nothing you could take away from God to make him better. He's pure act. There is no, what pure act means, there's no unrealized potential in God. There's no potentiality in here. We have graduates of both high school and university, and they have so much potential. In God, there is no unrealized potential. He's pure act. But he is, as our colleague said today, the way, the truth, and the life. Not just life, but but the very source of it. John, in his epistle, says that God is love. You can't add anything to him to make him more loving. You can't take anything away from him to make him better. He just is love itself. God is love. And I love that, that Cornelius experiences this love. And what does that trigger? It triggers an overflow. There's an overflow of a forgiven soul. There's an overflow. You see, our faith is not a private faith. That's why when we come to this service, we always end with a dismissal. We are sent out in the power of the Spirit. Every Sunday is a mini Pentecost, if you will. And God says, I'm including those who've been excluded. I'm including those who people thought had no value. And I say, you have value. God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, speaks over Cornelius the same way that he spoke over his son on the River Jordan all those years ago. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. At the close of this service, we will offer up a uh, a post-communion prayer. And after that, we will then pray out all the graduates. But one of the things which we're going to do is just use one of the most ancient prayers that the church uses liturgically. Um, Not the Lord's Prayer, but it's just a simple prayer. Veni Sancti Spiritus. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit Father we acknowledge that you are good and that you give good gifts to your children so we ask that this morning we your people would answer your summons that we would be satisfied that our thirst would be satisfied in you and that we would become signs of new life wherever we go as we are sent out rejoicing in the power of your spirit We ask this all in Christ's precious name. Amen.